Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. You got your fall shirt on. I like it. I do. I've got the uh, the orange plaid going on, trying to enjoy fall while we have it. We had three really nice days in a row, and now it seems like it's the end of the season, maybe. You know what I was thinking just the other day is how we always talk about how spring is so fast in Door County because you really don't get one in a lot of ways. And then summer, you get like that quick three weeks of, oh, the weather's perfect. It's it's sunny every day and it's really warm. It like gets over 80, but then that ends. But fall color season, actually lightning fast. Like we got like a two to three week window now. We're just starting to get to like those great colors and then it's going to be gone. Well, and I've heard rumors of a cold snap coming this weekend potentially. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens with the fall colors. We're, I would say, probably 60% there to like full, beautiful, blazing fall colors. And uh, who knows if we'll actually get to that 100% mark. But I was just driving back from uh, right on Door County. Uh, I'm on the board there. So I was over there for a meeting. And coming back, that's one of the best roads in the county for fall color is Judville Road coming back over toward County A, and it just looks awesome right now. And my wife this morning was like, I keep wanting to take pictures of the trees, but then I realized this isn't actually peak yet. This is going to look really bad two days from now. I'm going to be like, why do I have this photo in my phone? This one's way better. Right. So here's hoping. Hopefully we'll get a period of time where we can actually enjoy the full fall colors. Hopefully the weather holds out on us a little bit longer. But why don't we jump into the news? We have a couple things to talk about this week. Uh, But first off, The Pulse is doing something really cool uh, with their new education page. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, it's something that we've been talking about for a while and we've slowly been moving in this direction. But every day there are 3,000 students in Door County who get up out of bed and go into local schools. And they have mom's dad's, grandma's grandpa's, aunt's uncle's. And then anybody who owns property here is influenced by the schools on their property tax bill. And it's one of the largest public investments we make. And it's been something we've covered, but we've never really dedicated like a section of the paper to say schools or education. It's always just been something that falls in, you know, news or sports or elsewhere. But a few months ago, we started doing these alumni profiles. Right. Just to show the wide array of things that people graduate from Door County schools, go out and do in the world or do right here in Door County. And we just thought finally we'd just start doing an education page where people can find all sorts of news about local schools, whether it be the high schools or the tech school. And like, what are the topics that the schools are facing, whether it be a school board issue or just like highlighting the achievements of our local students or solo ensemble events and things like that. You know, the classic newspaper role where Grandma and Grandpa can clip out the article and put the picture on the wall. And we've just never really given it its own place and realized in our discussions that other outlets have fallen by the wayside and aren't filling that role, and we need to step in and and do more of that. And Door County as a larger community, 
really does value education up here. I mean, we vote overwhelmingly in support of referendums and funding schools, and we have, you know, really high-quality education up here. So it's great to be able to focus back in on that and, and share those stories to the people that we reach. And it's one of those things that we try to evaluate. I'm always asking this question of, like, what should our priorities be? Where you can get caught up in the ebb and flow of covering, like, the town board meetings and the the week-to-week stuff and just cranking that out and keeping people up to date on these things that are important. And then sometimes you don't get a chance to sit back and go, oh, what are we missing while we're doing that? What aren't we covering when it comes to health care or child care or the schools? And that was one where we were like, hey, we're doing all this stuff and we're, we're putting out an 80 to 90 page paper every week, which is great. But, you know, if we're not touching on something that's as big as the schools, we're not, we're not doing everything we should be doing. And like I said, you know, you have over 3,000 students in these schools every day. That's a lot of families, a big part of a lot of their lives that, that we need to be covering more of. So Celeste Benshawel is heading that up for us. And if anyone has any ideas or tips or information to send her way that you think should be on that page, you can email her at celeste at ppulse.com. And this week she wrote a story about the Invest, Dream, Achieve program at Northeast Wisconsin Technical College. And that's funded through the uh, Women's Fund of Door County. And they give grants to uh, women who are trying to go back to school. Adults who, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they started a family and put their education on the sideline or maybe just fell on hard times or what, for whatever reason they didn't continue pursuing it. This is a way to help them pay for costs to go back to school. And I think it's just a, a fabulous program that is a really like kind of a, a low cost way to make a really huge tangible impact on specific lives and families in Door County. And I, I think it's really cool because my own mother went back to school when she was 42, and there were six of us kids in the house, and my parents had no money. She went back to school, got her nursing degree through NWTC, driving back and forth to Sturgeon Bay, driving back and forth to Green Bay. And that really changed the trajectory of our family's finances and future at that time. And you know, if that, now that there's a program like this one that Celeste wrote about, to help make that easier for families to do and for young women to make that decision to better their lives and, and change their future. I, I just think it's a, a fabulous program. And that's what we highlighted in the, the first week of that education page. Well, and the, the nice thing, too, is that when we're talking about education, we're not just focusing on K-12. We're talking about, you know, education after high school, uh, college, going back to school, that kind of stuff, too, because that's all very important. And one thing that we've talked about on the podcast a couple of times is that high schoolers' trajectory after graduating high school, especially up here in Door County, but, I mean, throughout the whole country, it's not as cut and dry as it was maybe five, ten years ago. Like, I, I told you before that I grew up feeling like when I graduated high school, had to go to college. Didn't know what I was going to do necessarily, but knew that that was what was expected of me, despite nobody in my family going to college before me. That's not necessarily the case. And it's important that students realize that there are different paths of Mm -hmm. post-high school education. If you want to go out of state or you want to go out of Door County to go to college, that's great. If that's the the path for you, then awesome. If you want to stay in the county, go to a technical school, uh, get a a degree in in something more hands-on like that, that's awesome too. And there's a bunch of really great manufacturers up here who are are putting uh, money and support behind uh, alternative career paths and stuff like that, getting people the knowledge and the tools that they need to be able to come back here and to to work in a trade and to, to do stuff like that. So uh, it's cool that we're able to highlight those different things as well. Yeah, I was just sitting in a roundtable discussion sponsored by Door County Economic Development Corporation on Tuesday in which our former head of DCEDC, Caleb Frostman, 
who's now the head of Department of Workforce Development for Governor Evers, was up here with Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, just hearing from local manufacturers about their struggles in recruiting employees and retaining employees. And housing is a big part of that discussion. But another big part of that is just getting in touch with the local schools and creating apprenticeship programs and getting people, even as young as middle school, to understand what options are out there. Because they were saying that even in high school, people kind of, they're starting to pick their trajectory already. Maybe you've hit them too late. So letting people know in middle school that, hey, this, there's great careers, there's great futures right here with these companies. I'll probably be writing about that next week of just like some of these different programs that these manufacturers are trying to put in place and be more intertwined with the local schools. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to the future of the education page and the different stories that we're able to highlight through it. Yeah. Moving on, I've heard of the Clippers before, right? <laughs> I don't know what they are. Could you explain to me what the Clippers are? Sturgeon Bay Clippers, that is the nickname of the Sturgeon Bay High School. A Clipper is a Clipper ship, which makes a lot of sense for Door County with our maritime history. So how did the Sturgeon Bay High School get the name the Clippers? Well, so uh, growing up here, I thought they were just always Clippers. That makes sense. It's Sturgeon Bay. But a gentleman named Jerry Grassel stopped by the office months ago, and he had written up this piece on how Sturgeon Bay became the Clippers. And... You know, a lot of times people will come in and they have a piece that they, they oh, I want to write this, I want to write this. A lot of times not all that great quality. But this was actually pretty good, and it was something I had never known. You know, in classic Door County fashion, Sturgeon Bay Clippers used to just be the Sturgeon Bay Bays. Not very inventive, right? And then he... he and if you say it too fast, it sounds like the Sturgeon Babies. <laughs> yes, I had not thought of that. But... Jerry Grassel was at Sturgeon Bay High School in the 1950s, and he said, like, a lot of the kids were like, hey, we're, we're going to play the, the Wolves or the Indians or the Chiefs or the Storm and all these others, uh, the Vikings, Pioneers, and we're just the Bays? Like, what is a Bay? Like, how, how intimidating is that? And so they wanted to choose a new logo, and he writes this kind of memoirish piece of being there in that time and how each class had a committee that came together the four high school classes, and they put forth a name to be voted on by a, a group of students and administrators. And I guess the name that came out of it was Clippers. And he was saying that at the time, everyone was very, not everyone, there were a lot of people that were pretty disappointed because they were like, oh, we wanted to be something like big and intimidating. And it was like, oh, we're a ship now. Like we went from beige to a ship. But now, the Clippers just synonymous with Sturgeon Bay. It seems to make a ton of sense. It's intertwined with their maritime history. But he tells a story, and then we went back through Advocate Archives, and this is true, is like it took a few years for that to take hold. Some people were like, I'm not doing it. I'm not calling them the Clipper. If we're, I'm still calling them the Bays. And in sports articles at the time, you'd have a headline that would say, like, Clippers beat Indians or something like that. But then in the article, they would refer to them as the Bays still, and they'd go back and forth. So it wasn't like a unanimous flip until around 1956, the, the, the high school yearbook finally put like their stamp on it. And that was Jerry Grassel's graduating class of like, we are the Clippers. We had this vote. Like, this is who we are. And, and moving forward, they've always been the Clippers ever since. But it was just one of those things that this is a little bit, bit of history that I had never heard that I figured like a lot of our readers might be uh, interested in. And Jerry did a great job writing it for us. Uh, tell me about the Gibraltar Vikings. How'd they get their name? Well, now I, now I got to go searching because I was like, I had never even thought of them as anything else. Same thing with the Vikings. I don't know. If anybody out there knows if the, if the Vikings were ever something else, I'd love to hear it. 
Yeah, before they just grabbed the Minnesota Vikings name and logo, but yeah. then flipped it. As somebody from Minnesota, that was very comforting when I moved up here to Door County to drive by the football field at Gibraltar and see the Vikings there. And I was like, oh, look, a little bit of home has followed <laughs> me up here. For a diehard sports fan like yourself. I know, right? I'm wild about the stuff. Moving on, but sticking kind of in Fish Creek, uh, highway construction is finally upon us. Uh, I got to feel some of it the other day as I was going north from Ephraim to Sister Bay. Uh, highway was totally closed down. I was in traffic for probably 20 minutes before I was able to move forward. So uh, here we are. We're finally here. What do we need to know? Uh, so right now, they're, they're still working on the resurfacing between Ephraim and Sister Bay, and that is the easy part of the project. So the resurfacing will be done by probably mid-October, maybe late October, depending on weather impacts. But then the, the biggest thing that's going to start throwing people off is the construction around Gibraltar School. And they'll start to have closures on southbound lanes from, if you're heading south of where the Skyway Drive-In is and you're trying to go through Fish Creek, you're going to be detoured starting, I think, during the weekdays next week. And it will be open, normal traffic again for Fall Fest weekend. And then after Fall Fest, there will be a southbound detour until the winter work shut down. So northbound lanes will be open around that Fish Creek Hill around Gibraltar School under flagging operations, but southbound traffic will be detoured down County F to County A, and then the official detour will take them down to County E before they can come back across. Locals or people familiar with the area will know that you can take Penn Players Road back to Highway 42, but your only way to get into downtown Fish Creek from the north is going to be going around to the south of Fish Creek and coming back north. So it's going to be a bit of a roundabout traffic pattern for a while. It won't impact buses or students coming and going from Gibraltar school, yet those impacts will be next spring. Have you heard anything from the the businesses that are along the highway there in terms of what they're anticipating during the closures? I'm talking about like the gas station and Alexander's and that type of, those types of businesses. Uh, they're happy that it's happening late in the season, um, but, you know, it's generally a reaction of this stinks, but what are we going right. to do? They got to redo the highway. And if they're going to do this work around the school and, and improve that pedestrian stuff, what way around it is there, it seems? They're doing a lot of stuff on the retaining wall. They're doing a lot of stuff to create a pedestrian median in the middle of the road. And then you have some storm sewer work. And there's just, in my conversations with town officials and the DOT, there's just not really a way to do it and leave the road open, at least not to do it fast enough. Because right. if you leave the roads open, it just slows down the pace of the work. So they're going to try and get as much done before probably mid-November. And if weather holds out, they might work through mid-December. I remember last year, it was still pretty good for a while. And then they would pick it up again next spring in March. And right now, the plan would call for a complete shutdown on that intersection up to Memorial Day, and then I think open it for Memorial Day, and then close it again in June. So a lot of disruption coming to Fish Creek in the, the winter, the, the late fall ahead, and then next spring. Right. Uh, it will still be open on the weekends for, you know, the next two weekends. Correct. Least, correct. Yep. So anybody coming up here for Pumpkin Patch this weekend, Fall Fest next weekend, you're going to be able to go north and south without uh, any disruption, other than the fact that there'll be a lot of you. Right. Well, with that, why don't we take a break, Miles, and then when we come back, we've got some updates on the Redmond property in Fish Creek. Uh, there's a vote coming up, and uh, we'll dig into that shortly. 
They called themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood, in metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Nankin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So uh, briefly before we jump into this, just remind everybody what the Redmond property is and what's going on there. Okay, so Redmond property is the big swath of 195 acres of land. If you're coming on the highway heading north into Fish Creek, part of that property comes out by Highway 42, just north of the settlement shops across from Lautenbach's Orchard Country Winery. And then the big chunk of it is back kind of off the road, out of view, goes back to the bluff, then there's the escarpment there, it goes down the bluff and into like kind of the Fish Creek watershed area. There's about 50 acres of protected wetland down there and then another 140 acres of potential area to be developed into either recreational trails or housing. Does that property extend all the way into the park that's kind of under the bridge or the trails go under the bridge in Fish Creek kind of by not licked yet? Yes, it does eventually link up to the existing Fish Creek Park that kind of sprouts behind. Yeah, if you go pretty much directly across from Not Licked Yet, you'll find an entrance. Tons of people who live up here forever don't know that that park is there. It's actually a really nice little park that you can walk and do a short hike in, a couple of small basic trails. But it would latch up to that park, so then you'd basically be connecting that property back by the settlement shops, down the bluff, all the way to Peninsula State Park across 42 in the middle of town. Right. So the town of Gibraltar put an option in for it many months ago, correct? Yeah. Last spring, they secured an option to purchase that property for $2.15 million from the current owner, Maurice Redmond. Property's been on the market for about 10 years. It's got an estimated fair market value of about $1.89 million by my calculations. And then, so at $2.1 million dollars, So they got that option. It's a town, so they have to go to a vote. So um, those familiar with past projects like this in Door County, Sister Bay bought the Helms Four Seasons Hotel and the Al Johnson's property for about $5 million each about a decade ago. They didn't have to go to a vote. The village can just go to closed session, decide to buy it, and then just announce that they bought it. They don't have to go back to the voters for any of that. Townships for a project like that, either to buy major property or to take on a major construction project to build something, they have to go to a vote of the electors. That's different than an election, like on election day. This is just like literally anybody who shows up at the meeting who has resided in the town for 10 days or more and can vouch that they're a resident gets to vote. Sometimes they do it with a hand vote. Usually when with topics like this, they'll do it with sheets of paper and you just write yes or no on it and turn it in and they count them up. It's, it's, it is the most basic old school example of democracy that you can find. It's actually kind of cool to see it play out because it, it is so basic. Right. The biggest one like this I've ever seen is Liberty Grove, 
about 10 years ago when they first voted on the Gills Rock shoreline and it got voted down resoundingly, but they had to move the meeting into the bays of the town shop because they had about 450 to 500 people there. Sometimes it's just 100. Sometimes it's 20 at these meetings. This one will be held in the Door Community Auditorium on Wednesday, October 16th. And I'm anticipating at least a couple of hundred people show up. There are some very diverging opinions on this property. There were a couple of very preliminary ideas about what to use the, the property for. Has anything come out of those like initial ideas? Is there is there more of a, a, a stable proposition for the property moving forward at this vote? Or is it just kind of like, hey, we want to buy it and then we'll figure out what to do with it after? Definitely not the latter. Buy it and figure it out has been the MO of communities when they've had successful efforts like this mm-hmm. is saying, we just want to secure this property and make sure we think it's valuable. We think it's beautiful. We want to make sure nothing gets developed there on a scale that we can't control. So let's buy it. And then we'll go to the townspeople and figure out what we want to do with it. That's how Sister Bay worked. That's how Liberty Grove worked. That's how Egg Harbor with their beach worked. In this case, when I first talked to Dick Scary, the town chairman at Gibraltar, he really emphasized bike trails and recreational use and then said there was potential for housing, potential for EWGB satellite campus, things like that. But the focus was on the recreational aspect. As this has gone on, the focus has been almost entirely on the housing aspect, which obviously sets off a lot of alarm bells to people in Door County because as much as everybody in the county says, we definitely need affordable housing, those same people almost to a person say, yeah, but just not not by my house. Right. Not by my property. Now, like when you say housing... Somewhere else. When you say housing, are you talking about a mix of affordable housing and condos or leaning one way or the other? They've thrown out a bunch of different ideas. And even at the meeting I was at this week on Tuesday night, there were multiple different ideas. And it's even unclear without following up and asking a bunch more questions is, is this just one person's idea or is this a town proposal? What are we looking at here? Gibraltar has not been good about clarity of message on this. So that property comes with 580 building permits. It's a a really quite a strange anomaly in Door County in that it's got these permits back in 1980 before a lot of the new zoning rules and zoning districts were put in. It would never get that many today. And that those 580 permits, they don't even apply to like the 200 acres because 50 of it can't be developed anyway. I th- I, the way I understand it is those permits can be shifted to like any of the other parcels. So you could have some pretty dense development there. What some people have said is we should just buy that property just to make sure that some developer doesn't come in at some point and say, I want to maximize this and use every single one of these permits because 580 buildings would basically, I don't know, that might double the size of the town of Fish Creek and put it all into that small acreage. Right. Neighbors, of course, are saying, well, we don't want this to be affordable housing. That's going to lower my property value. And we're going to have crime. We're going to have traffic issues. We're going to have all these problems. A lot of those complaints, I'd say, are pretty clearly unfounded. But the town has not really sold this project as like, let's protect this land. Let's buy it and protect it. They've thrown out the affordable housing options. And in fact, at Tuesday's meeting, they talked about potentially building 290 affordable housing units. and doing another like construction project for $62 million in total improved value, which, yeah, if that all that happened, it would basically pay for the property. But that'd be a lot of development even there. 290 units is still a lot more than anybody would want to see on that. So that's not really like assuaging any neighbor's concerns. And then they haven't really 
given a detailed breakdown of a lot of the other costs. If you build all that, you're going to have to extend sewer and water, which is going to cost a lot of money. And they haven't really clarified what that might be. And in their defense, they don't know yet. They don't know what's going to go there. So it's hard to get the detailed numbers for that. Right. So that's where you might make the argument, hey, just talk about the property and not all these other aspects of it. Don't, right. don't get yourself into the weeds. Well, and it is kind of wild to imagine a scenario in which, you know, 300 houses get built in Fish Creek. And if, you know, each one brings in two to four people, that's like a thousand people now living in Fish Creek, a thousand more. Yeah. Uh, and that's <laughs> wild to think about, but I guess maybe exciting for me because I'm imagining neighborhoods, right? I'm imagining places yeah. where families raise their kids and to to bring in a 300 families right into the middle of the peninsula, that could have wide-reaching effect from the tip all the way down. You know, in Sturgeon Bay, I was at that meeting I was talking about earlier at that roundtable discussion, there were superintendents there, and Patty Vickman, the superintendent of Southern Door, said, some of those more affordable housing units on the south end of Surgeon Bay have already had an impact on their school district. They, she said she has 12 students whose parents moved into those buildings and are now students at Southern Door School. And, you know, what that does immediately, A, it, it helps boost your school. B, it helps lower the taxes for everybody else because you get reimbursed from the state or you're allowed to, to tax based on per student. So in Gibraltar, it's like $18,000 per kid. So like 10 kids would be like $180,000 coming in. That wouldn't then have to go to referendum. There's a lot of benefits to bringing some young families in there. One of the pertinent facts that everyone needs to know in Gibraltar is at $2.1 million, the impact on the taxes, if they don't get any grants to pay for any of it, if they have to, if the town has to foot the bill for every last dollar, that's $20 per $100,000 of property value. So if you have a home, it's worth $300,000, your ta property taxes are going to go up $60 a year. Some people think that is totally reasonable to lock up that property and control it and have site control over anything that happens there. Some people just don't trust the town and the town board. After what happened with the Fish Creek bathrooms kind of becoming a fiasco, the parking lot where they clear-cut a bunch of trees and didn't notify neighbors and did it in a way that a lot of people said, like, why did you have to just clear cut that whole forest? Why not leave a few scattered trees here and there? And then the new telephone poles, which I have not talked to anybody who's happy with them through town. They're tall black poles that stick out really loudly in a community where other towns have decided to bury their power lines. So those are the last three projects that people have seen done in Fish Creek. And those are pretty minor, small projects. And now the town is saying, yeah, but now we want to do a 200-acre, $2 million affordable housing, bike trail, and all this. I understand why people wouldn't have a ton of faith in the board that has not really communicated their past projects very well. So even though it looks like a, a pretty cheap buy, it can also be a lot of headaches. Right. If this is something that you are particularly passionate about or interested in, uh, Wednesday is the day, right? That's the day to get out and to make your voice heard at this vote, correct? That is the day. Uh, Door Community Auditorium, 6 p.m. I think the doors open at 5 p.m. for people to sign in. It could be a long meeting. Maybe it goes faster. Sometimes I anticipate a really long, drawn-out thing, and, and it just goes really quick. But they are going to do a presentation about the property and possibilities for it. And in kind of a surprising move, they have allowed the opposition to the purchase to also do a presentation. So that could go on for a while. Interesting. Uh, anything else about the Redmond property before we wrap up for the week? No. All right. Thank you so much, Miles, for chatting with me. Uh, 
pretty interesting slew of events that have gone on. And I uh, look forward to talking to you next week about how everything kind of shakes out. Yeah, or maybe I'll just stumble into you at Pumpkin Patch and we can talk town politics all Saturday long. That's exactly how I want to spend my weekend. <laughs> uh, speaking of weekends, have a good one and uh, look forward to talking to you again too. You too, Andrew. For more Door County news, interviews, and exclusive content, check us out at doorcountypulse.com or pick up this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse available every Friday. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast to get new episodes delivered straight to your device twice a week. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Thank you.